0: Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. So we're back to the names of God. He gave me one. And I think he's really more or less just using it as a steering mechanism to send me in the direction of the message that he wants. Because there's a story behind each time the names are prevented and there's a message behind the story. And the one he gave me for tonight is Jehovah Makedesh, which is, literal translation, it's the Lord who makes you holy. Shorter version is the Lord who sanctifies, because the process of sanctification is the process of making you holy. The first time it's mentioned is in Leviticus chapter 20. So we'll start there. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read through a chunk of this chapter to see how the name comes about. Leviticus 20, starting in verse 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, again, Thou shalt say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, that giveth any of his seed unto Moloch, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones and I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people. And because he hath given his seed unto Moloch to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name, sanctify yourselves therefore and be ye holy for I am the Lord your God and ye shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which sanctifieth you. Now he gives an option. All through this chapter, he gives instruction in righteousness. This is how you're going to be set apart. This is how you're going to be different than the culture. This is how you're going to be like me. I don't agree with child sacrifice. You're going to be set apart from the cultures that do. You're not going to participate in it. You have the option to comply. You have the option to sanctify. If you don't, he says, I am the God who makes you holy. He will sanctify. He always gives you the warning and the option you do it the easy way or you do it the hard way. Just like every parent does, you tell your kids what they're supposed to do and when they don't listen, then you come with correction and they'll usually tell you we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way. It's always wise to do it the easy way. We usually don't learn until we do it the hard way. This applies to abortion. In modern culture, abortion is a sin against God and against His holiness. He gives us space to rid ourselves of it, or else eventually He will come against those who allow it in judgment and cleanse the land of it Himself. Every culture in history that allowed child sacrifice, God eventually Came against them and destroyed that culture. He will be a defender of the defenseless. He hears the cries of the innocent. He will stop it. He gives space for repentance for a while, but eventually he always comes against those nations. He himself will cleanse the land of it. He asks you to sanctify yourself the easy way, but if you won't, then he will step in and sanctify the hard way. Through judgment, and the removal of the walls, or the hedge of protection. They will come down, and the belt will come off until you take him serious. Because he is holy, and he requires separation from these fruitless, worldly, wicked things. He is different, and he demands that we be different with him, or else he will count us as being against him, and we will be counted with the wicked. All right, picking up in verse, so, okay, verse 4. If the people of the land do any way hide their eyes from the man when he giveth his seed unto Moloch, and kill him not, then I will set my face against that man and against his family and will cut him off and all that go a-whoring after him to commit whoredom with Molech from among their people. Jesus says that you're either with him or you're against him. There's no middle ground. Now in the Old Testament, because they couldn't deal with the spirits in a person, the M.O. was just to kill the person so that the spirits wouldn't spread or that character, or that that teaching wouldn't spread amongst the people. In Jesus' time, he stopped the stoning and allowed the person to repent and to cast the spirits out so we don't kill them anymore. But... The principle still applies that there has to be a separation from agreement with this sin. And in this section, it talks about not just those who are doing it, but those who hide their eyes from those that do it. In other words, if you're complacent in it, if you're not actively standing against it in disagreement with it, then you're just as guilty of it. Because we're called to defend the innocent. You're either actively working for God or you're actively working for the enemy. You're either gathering or scattering. You're either helping him to purify, sanctify, and make holy his creation, or you are polluting it. He gives you time to choose your side of the fence. And if you don't do it willingly, then eventually he electrifies it and forces you to make a decision. Remember this, that when God steps in as judge, those who are found still in the valley of decision or judged with the wicked. Now is the time of getting right with him. People think they can just make no decision. Oh, I'm not going to get in the fight. No, you're in the fight. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. People think they're walking the fence, but they're not. When Jesus comes back, the Valley of Decision, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, where the Battle of Armageddon is, on one side of it is the Mount of Olives where Jesus' followers listened to his teachings. The other side is the place where Jesus was crucified. So I always see it as the divide between those who are following Jesus' teachings and those who stood against them. But when he comes back, he doesn't just fight against those who intentionally stood against him. He fights against those who are still in the valley of decision. You have to choose to follow him. If you're not with him, you are against him. He will make holy. Verse 6 And the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go a whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. Now we know wizardry, familiar spirits, witchcraft that goes into the occult, that goes into things like horoscopes, that goes into things like drugs, but he says. Even those who go a-whoring after them, that lust after, that desire after. So you better watch what movies you're watching. You might need to delete some video games, anything that glorifies witchcraft. Don't play with that which nailed Jesus to the cross. God takes it serious, and your excuses won't stand in the courts of heaven. Right now, he's giving you space for repentance. You better repent of pride also and rebellion because that is agreement with witchcraft and familiar spirits. The Bible tells us that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft because you are willingly choosing to listen to another spirit. It's comfortable, it's familiar, I like it, but it's in contradiction to what God's telling me or what the Word of God is, so you're choosing to follow after, go whoring after another spirit. Anything that sets you at odds or at variance against God's word is you whoring after familiar spirits. If he is your spiritual husband and you are under his covering, then submit to him, obey him, be faithful to him. If not, if you give your heart and obedience to other things, if you don't listen to him, if you ignore when he is calling, then don't expect him to be your covering when judgment is falling. You choose another lover, you go a-whoring after familiar spirits when you listen to anything that contradicts the word or teachings of Jesus. Verse 7, Sanctify yourself, therefore. This is the commandment he gives. Sanctify yourself, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God, and ye shall keep my statutes And do them. I am the Lord which sanctifieth you. So it seems like a conundrum because at first he tells you, sanctify yourself. And then he says, I am the Lord that sanctifies you. God will purify. I think it's in the same manner that we tell our kids, clean your room. But then when they don't, we go in there and we make it happen. We teach them, we instruct them in righteousness. He gives us the opportunity to do it willingly, but when we don't, He loves us enough to not leave us spotted. We can look at the church as it is now. Jesus said, I'm coming back for a pure and spotless bride, but the church is filthy and full of spots. So He tells us how. He he gives us His word. He gives us His instruction. This is how you sanctify. You have the opportunity to do it yourself, but because the church won't, then comes tribulation, then comes hardships, then comes persecution. Then comes these things that helps to electrify the fence so you can't walk the fence anymore. you got to choose a side. When you can't buy, sell, or trade, or be part of the system, if you honor Jesus, you got to choose a side. That's part of him helping to make us holy. He would rather do it the easy way, but he will do it the hard way if he has to. Ultimately, that's up to you. We've all been through those experiences where God told us something and we didn't listen. And then all heck broke loose. The wall of protection went down and the enemy sifted us and we learned the lesson. We saw the consequences of our decision and we decided that it would have been better to listen to God. Sometimes he makes us holy. By taking the walls down. He does it to nations. He did it to Israel many times. Sit and submit and listen. And put your idols and selfishness aside. Or he will humble your pride. He will strip you. In order to equip you. Better if you strip yourself. Lay it all down willingly. It's easier that way. Nevertheless. Because he loves us. He will come. And take those idols from us like any good parent would if we won't mature on our own. He will grow us up in a furnace of affliction. The passage continues. We're not going to read any further, but just to summarize, but if you continue reading the passage, it continues to condemn more sins the and, and to demand separation from even the agreement with demons in the land and their influences and their practices, all of the things in the culture that were wicked and demonic, not only to not participate, but also not to agree with it, to completely separate yourself from it. In the New Testament, it says to avoid even the appearance of evil. In other words, don't let it look like you even agree with it. Um, It covers dishonoring your parents, which is a disregard for authority or a refusal to be, ruled by those who look after your soul, which is a form of pride that's covered uh, in the chapter. All forms of adultery and sexual perversion is covered in the chapter. Uh, Skipping ahead to verse 22, it says, You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my judgments and do them, that the land, whether I bring you to dwell therein, spew you not out this is very interesting he said he spoke against abortion he spoke against perversion he spoke against lawlessness and dishonoring authority he spoke against all these things that we just mentioned against witchcraft and and idolatry and it says that if you obey what he says the land that you're going in will be good but if you don't the very land itself will spew you out the land itself doesn't want that filth and pollution. I think of the the pigs when Jesus cast the demons out of the demoniac and they went on to the pigs and the pigs ran and drowned themselves in the water. The pigs didn't even want those spirits on them. The land itself doesn't want those demons, those spirits, those principalities in it. The land itself will fight against the people when they invite these wickednesses in. That's why you see increased upheavals in Earthquakes and volcanoes and storms and all of these natural things. Not to mention when God takes away the wall of protection and you have armies coming in and, and invasions and wars and all of that wickedness also. But even the land itself will spew you out, will fight against you. And you shall not walk in the manners of the nations which I cast out before you. For they committed all these things and therefore I adhorred them. But I have said unto you, ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that floweth with milk and honey. For I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. So you say, I'm giving you this land, I'm putting you in this land, but don't do like the people of the land. For the modern translation, it would be church, you're going out. As sheep among wolves, you're going out to preach the gospel. You're going out to tell them the truth, but don't be like the culture. You're not here to incorporate with the culture. You're here to be separate, set apart, and show them something different. You're supposed to be more like him than like them. When you choose to agree with or act upon these things, you give access to the demons that influence men to do them. You give them the land, and the land will fight against you for it. You will have increase in all manner of destruction and natural disaster. It also brings suffering and death and pain to the innocent and damnation to the souls of men so that God himself has to fight against it eventually. Though in his patience, he does give space for repentance so that he will let your enemies come in and overtake you. He will turn you over to Satan for a season so that you can see the true nature of, of what you are serving, that you might turn from it and back to him before the final judgment where you will be bound to the torments of these evil spirits for all eternity. Earthly judgments are a mercy. God pours out moments of judgment on earth. But as long as you're alive, you still have space for repentance. Those earthly judgments are a mercy to keep you from going into eternal judgment. The same way your parents whipping you or punishing you is a mercy if it keeps you from going to hell, if it keeps you from going to jail, if it keeps you from doing something that separates you from them. So when hardships and trials come and there's something coming to the nation, there's something coming to the church, I tell you that it is a mercy because the church has refused to make itself holy. So Jehovah Makadesh will make it holy. He will purify his bride before he comes because he loves it too much to leave it spotted and unqualified to be received by him. He loves it enough to purify it. But individually, we do still have that choice, so choose to be pruned before the storm comes to break you. We have no excuse. Back then in the time that This was written in the book of Leviticus. They had no easy way of deliverance. When a person allowed themselves to become possessed by agreement with these evil practices, with these spirits, they had to be put to death. But now, because of what Jesus did, we can crucify our flesh and bury it with Jesus. We can put it to death in crucifixion, in baptism, in salvation. We can receive deliverance. We can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus and filled with his spirit. We can repent. We can break agreement. We can start afresh. The process of separation is made easy by Jesus' suffering. It was made hard on him so that it could be made easy for us. So then how much more serious does God take it when we don't choose to separate from it now. He took it serious then. Then he said, you have to separate from these spirits and their influence. And it was so serious that he people were put to death for it. Because Jesus was willing to take that death to make the separation easier for us, that we might have that deliverance, how much more serious do, does God take it when we don't choose to do it? And we read that very clearly in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26 when it says, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for those sins, but rather a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. So once we've been saved, delivered, set free, and we or set free from the influence of those spirits, if we willingly choose to go back and make ourselves the servant of it, then that sacrifice no longer applies. You're now guilty of that sin again. You're back in agreement with that spirit. You let it back in. And there will be a judgment for it, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. God found a way to make us holy. An unholy thing. Holy means separate, set apart. Different. Separate it from these evil spirits and their influence. This scripture is saying that those who choose to willingly go back to the influence of those spirits, those sins. After they've been washed by the blood of Jesus and set free from it. They're counting the blood of Jesus that they had been sanctified by or cleansed or separated from these things by an unholy thing. Not worthy to Make them separate. It's not separate. It's okay to mix the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice, what he did for us with the sin that he actually did it to separate us from. If person that does this, it says he hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord in other words god will take vengeance upon those that do this you make yourself the enemy of the cross of jesus according to paul and again the lord shall judge his people for it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living god and first peter chapter 1 verse 14 you don't have to turn there it's really quick it says as obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now we know that scripture, but it actually comes from the Old Testament where the name of God was given as Jehovah or Yahweh. Makadesh, which literally means the Lord which makes you holy. So not only is it given a commandment in Scripture that we are to be holy as He is holy, separate, set apart, distanced from these evil spirits, their influence and all agreement with them, but we are to trust in Him to equip us by the power of His blood and His grace to do it. God made a way of escape. He increased the standard because that he had made the way more accessible through what Jesus did. Because he made the way for sinful man to die and to release those evil spirits. Sanctification, which begins at salvation, is the process of being led into truth by the Holy Spirit who reveals God's word to you. Then you have to choose to receive it, to believe it, to agree with it, to die to self, to break agreement with the enemy, and to stand on the words and teachings of Jesus. This is how we crucify the flesh. Sometimes it's a slow death, depending on how strong-willed you are. That's why the Bible says that the humble get more grace and they get it more quickly, because they are more willing to die more easily and to release those evil spirits and their influences. Remember, the scripture says that only the truth can set you free. So when we agree with the truth and break agreement with the enemy, we die to self. We get rid of those old things. When Jesus died on the cross when he was crucified, he, he said I, he gave up the ghost. When we die with Christ, we give up those ghosts. Paul said, it's not me that sinned, but the body that was within me. It's the enemy. It's agreement. It's allowing the enemy to influence. And once you realize that, once you come to the knowledge of the truth, you can be delivered of it and let it go. Now, once that happens, you still have a will and the ability to agree with it again and let it back in, but it's always worse than before. And if it's not dealt with, then there's a greater judgment for it. So always remember this that only the truth can make you free. So at salvation, you break agreement with pride and realize that you need to die, that you need to be forgiven, cleansed, and saved by Jesus. You ask for His Holy Spirit and start the journey of following its leading, which will always take you into a wilderness to be stripped and tested, to see if you will agree with it and the words of Scripture against the temptations of the words of the enemy and any other spirit. As soon as Jesus was baptized, as soon as the Spirit fell upon him, the Spirit led him into a wilderness to be tempted. As soon as a person is saved at salvation and they receive the blushing of the blood of Jesus and they are empowered and all of this stuff, as soon as the Spirit starts speaking to them, the Spirit will start convicting. In fact, the Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit, Spirit is given to convict the world of sin. Once it starts convicting, we have to follow the leading of those convictions. God said, only those who are led of my spirit or my sons and daughters, as we follow it through our wilderness and are tempted, we have opportunity to continue to agree with the word of God, which the Holy Spirit teaches us and, and points us to and convicts us, or we can agree with the enemy. Just like Jesus in the wilderness, the devil came and tempted The flesh, he tempted the lust of the eye, the pride of life. He tempted those three areas and he had the opportunity to agree with the devil or to agree with the word of God. And that's how Adam fell in the beginning. God said something, they agreed with it, they believed it. The devil said something different, they chose to agree with him. They fell. It was pride. Ultimately, pride is at the root of every sin because pride at its core is believing That you can believe something or do something contrary to God's word and it's going to be okay. It'll never be okay. When you choose to trust or put your faith in God and that is proven through your actions, then you come out of that wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit and can be used to help lead others to repentance and deliverance. God will always test. He will always bring you through those things. And when he sees that he can trust you with these things, then he'll use you to help lead others. That's why what you overcome, you have power and authority over because you have faith and understanding and you can speak from a place of revelation that you can lead others out of that wilderness and temptation. So in other words, you have to choose to be different, set apart. You have to be holy and led by the Holy Spirit. In fact, the original wording, we call it the Holy Spirit, but in the original text, it was actually written as the spirit of holiness. And I like that because that's how every other spirit in scripture is written. When you read about the spirit of fear and you find out that it makes a person fearful, or you read about the spirit of jealousy and that it makes a person jealous, or the spirit of infirmity and that it makes a person sick or ill, then it makes sense that the spirit of holiness makes you holy. That's its purpose. That's its influence. Spirits are an influence. It's a characteristic influence. So if we are influenced by the Holy Spirit, we will be influenced into holiness. That's why Jesus said, test what root, what spirit is there by the fruit. What's it producing? What's it influencing? Ezekiel 37, verse 1 is another place that the name is mentioned. I'm going to read through some of it, a little piece of it. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, in verse 1, and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. This is the story of the Valley of Dry Bones. I think it's an interesting place for the name to appear. It caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy unto these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live, and I will lay you upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain. That they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet an exceeding great army. Now I know that this is a prophecy spoken of about Israel, but I see it as an image of salvation and sanctification. Because the first time he prophesied, the bones come together. And the sinew. And it has the look of being alive, but it has no power. So it's resurrected, but it's lifeless. That's salvation. When you first get saved, you're resurrected. But you're not really walking in the fullness of the power yet. And then he breathes. And when it receives the breath, the Holy Spirit, when it comes out in the power of the Holy Spirit, then it stands up a mighty army. Then it's powerful. Then it's equipped. It's equipped. There's a process. It doesn't all happen in an instant. So I see it as salvation and resurrection and sanctification being the empowerment through the Holy Spirit. This is happening right now to individuals, but I think it's happening also to the church. Originally, of course, this was a prophecy to Israel, but because the church has not replaced Israel, but is grafted into it, right, we're not something different from it, we're part of it, then it applies to us as well. We are the church. We are Israel. It's all one, those who are brought in through Jesus. We, the church, I'm talking about the true church, not the counterfeit, has been grafted into Israel, the true Israel. Jesus said, that the, the true Jews were not so much those that said they were Jews. In fact, Jesus said, woe unto those who claim to be Jews but are actually of the synagogue of Satan. There are false counterfeit, just like there are in the church. There's a lot of people who claim to be Christians. There are a lot of churches and denominations that we know are not followers of Jesus according to Scripture. There's always a counterfeit. There's the same thing with the Jews. But there are true Jews and there are true Christians. The real house of Israel and the real church are one family. Therefore, this prophecy applies jointly. They're not set apart from each other, but are set apart together unto God, all partaking of his holiness through Jesus, through the blood, through the marriage covenant, and through his Holy Spirit. Because that we all, like sheep, had gone astray them, Us, Gentiles, Jew, all alike were equally in sin and all needed to die and be revived and to receive the only pure seed that was left from Abraham, which was Jesus. All right. That scripture clearly tells us that the only pure seed was the only one who had that same bloodline, that same spirit, right? Jesus told the other Pharisees, if you were Abraham's seed, you would do what he did, right? You would have his character if you had his spirit. Jesus was the only true seed left. Therefore, all of us have to get grafted in through him. He was the seed of righteousness. He was the only righteous person left. Jesus was the last true heir to the promise. And he was laid on the altar like Isaac. Because that God was so faithful to keep his word and promise that he actually had to raise Jesus from the dead to do it. God's promises... Or yes and amen, they are a sure and firm place to stand. If he said it, he will do it. Even if he has to raise you from the dead to accomplish it, the promise will stand. He will fulfill it. He will try, sanctify, purify, and revive his bride, the Jew and the Gentile alike, all of them through Christ. So the promise was given to Abraham that through his seed, The promise would come, but because all had received of these evil spirits in agreement with these other things, there were no righteous left. There were no true descendants of that spirit of, because God sees spirit as family. So Jesus was the last one left. And even though Jesus died, because God said he would do it, he revived him. Now that promise applies to us. He said he would make us holy. He would sanctify. So you're going to have to die. But he will do it. And I say the same thing for the church, just like in this prophecy of dry bones. The church is not holy. The church is not sanctified. The church is not able to fulfill the promises to walk in what God has for them, to see those great and mighty end-time revivals and all of that. So if it has to die and be revived, then so be it. But he will do it. He will make it happen because he is Jehovah Makadesh. Continuing in that passage about the dry bones in verse 11, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. We're grafted in, so the church is in that also. Behold, they say, our bones are dry and our hope is lost. Sometimes we feel that way about the church, right? We are cut off from our parts. The members are separate. There's no unity. They can't work together. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves. This is a word of prophecy to you individually, but also to the church. And cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. This is also a physical prophecy of the resurrection in the end. When he comes back and fulfills the promise. Of the promised land. I will cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it saith the Lord, We will all be raised up out of the grave and receive His spirit, which actually happens at salvation when you are crucified with Christ, but it will happen again also at the resurrection. It happens now in the spiritual, then it'll happen in the physical. But right now we're raised up out of that grave of baptism to receive His Spirit, which then leads, convicts, and instructs us in righteousness. It empowers and equips us. And if it needs to, it will strip us, it will test us, it will lead us through wildernesses, all the while sanctifying us through the process if we continue to follow its leading and teaching and convicting. But if you choose to ignore it and go back to the error and lies of the enemy, then the latter end of you will be worse than the first. So take it seriously. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Picking up in verse 23, Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will save them out of all their dwelling places, wherein they have sinned, and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people, and I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. Now, of course, that is Jesus who is the heir or descendant of David. And they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. That's Jesus who came from David. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. That's New Jerusalem. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel and the church when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Amen. So water baptism, I see the all of these things and what he's saying here, he's water baptism, new blood, new spirit. He said, I'll sprinkle clean water on you. I'll give you new new spirit. I'll give you this. I'll put David over you. Water baptism, new blood, new spirit, death, burial, and resurrection, new man, new beginning, empowerment to be led by the Holy Spirit. In the end, all of these come in resurrection power when we are raised again in a place that is uncorruptible. They won't go back to those old sins or temptations and we will rule and reign with Christ in New Jerusalem that son of David that will be the king over it. Verse 25, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart. Oh, this is actually the chapter before, chapter 36, verse 25. Yeah, I just remembered. It's not in the same chapter. It's chapter 36, the chapter before. Yeah, Uh, verse 25. He'll sprinkle clean water. He'll give you a new heart. He'll give you a new spirit. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cleanse you. To walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them, and ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is a promise, of course, of salvation to us as individuals, but not as individuals only. This applies also to the entire nation of Israel, prophetically, in the end, in the resurrection, because New Jerusalem is coming. There will be a river that will flow from it. It says that in the end there will be a great earthquake and the, the rocks will come open and a great river will run through Jerusalem so it will be washed with water. He'll give us a new heart, a new spirit. Jesus will be there in it. His temple will be in the midst of it. He'll rule and reign from it. All of this is coming in the in the physical or spiritual. Or, it, we can't even comprehend what it's going to be. So those who are dead in Christ now... Those who die now and in the tribulation and in the times to come, they will be revived and come to life and will rule and reign and dwell in New Jerusalem with Christ. All who have believed for this promise will see it and will live in it and will continue to do the work of the kingdom from it. Jesus, of course, is the seed of David. He will be king over it. He will rule all of the world from New Jerusalem in holiness. And righteousness. He is different. He does things different. The world likes to try to build another pyramid and put God's name on it. God is holy. He is different, set apart. He does things in ways we cannot imagine or comprehend. Trust Him, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. He'll make it make sense in due time. Zechariah prophesies of New Jerusalem this way by saying in Zechariah 14, verse 20, it says, In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord, and the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar, yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts, and all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see it Therein, and in that day, there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Now this is interesting. This takes us back to the beginning where God was telling them in Leviticus to separate from these spirits. They were in the land of Canaan. The spirits he was telling them not to agree with, the, the culture and the practices, were those that were brought in by the gods of the Canaanites. These were spirits that were coming into the people because of agreement with these sins and practices. And and Zechariah prophesies that in New Jerusalem there will finally be a temple that is completely rid of these spirits. There won't be anybody there polluting it or influencing it with these Canaanite spirits. It will truly be holiness unto the Lord. God equates holiness with separation from the spirits of the Canaanite. remember, that after the flood, the enemy got back into humanity through Ham's descendant through through Cain, through Canaan. That's where Baal worship comes from. It gets back in. All of these practices followed after it. So agreement with sin, according to scripture, is serving Satan. You know, Paul said that the Gentiles don't realize that they're worshiping demons when they worship all of these idols, all of these other gods, that they're actually demons. That this is where it originated, that original worship back at the Tower of Babel and all that stuff. And it's gotten into the church. It's gotten into culture. It's gotten into everything. But God will purify His bride. He will sanctify. He will make holy. He will make it separate, set apart, and different from the world systems that are influenced by these Canaanite gods or demons. And eventually He will have a holy church. His temple will be holy. His people will be set apart unto him and him only. No mixture, only the blood of Jesus. He is the heir to the promise, the seed of righteousness. Make sure that you are found hidden in him before the great and terrible day of judgment. Enter into union with him through the marriage covenant. Be faithful to him like a bride to a husband. Prepare yourself in sanctification and purification unto his coming. And when he shows up, you will be called to enter in with him into New Jerusalem, the place that he left to go and prepare for us. The marriage supper of the Lamb is coming. But though all are invited, not all get in. Scripture is clear that only the righteous can enter therein. Only the righteous can go into New Jerusalem. Only the righteous go into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Only those who have the wedding garment, according to the parables that Jesus gave us. Only those who have followed the Holy Spirit by faith through the sanctification process. Revelations 19 Verse 5 gives us a glimpse of this when it says, And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, and ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. And give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See that thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God instead, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So, if he is the Lord who sanctifies us, then why... Does it say that the bride makes herself ready? We have to choose. Because that though only he can save us and fulfill his promises to us, we have to choose to believe him and to keep believing in order to follow him through the sanctification process. We don't just leave Egypt. We follow him through the wilderness to get to promise. It's his grace or power that saves us, and it's his grace that sanctifies us. We could not do it in and of ourselves apart from him. He is the husband. He leads us. He protects us. He provides for us. He covers us. Through him do we receive the inheritance of the riches of his father's kingdom. We cannot achieve any of it without him. But a covenant is a partnership, like a marriage. It is a marriage covenant. There's two people in it, and we do have a part to play in it. Faith is our part. We have to trust him. We have to keep following him, to obey and to stay with him, to let him lead and not to leave him for another spirit, not to give our attention, affections, obedience, or allegiance to any other. Jesus himself said that adultery nullifies a marriage. You can't have two husbands. You will obey one and reject the other. You will cling to one and despise the voice of the other. Who you choose to serve is the one you have chosen to be in covenant with. This is not something that you do with your words only, because words alone can be false or twisted but rather you do it with your heart, which drives your actions. So the question is, are you married to Jesus? Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. So it's that simple, and it's that hard. Love the Lord enough to give up your selfishness. Become a bride to him and keep his commandments and teachings. Come to him as a bride does to a husband. Ask him to help you to do it, and he will. He will be strength to you. He will be grace to you. In fact, he will do it for you. He will carry you through the process with him if you let him. The best way I can explain it is that when something is too heavy for me, I can ask Danny to do it and he helps me because that's what a husband does. We can't do it without Jesus because there are parts of it that are too heavy for us. But he is there if we are faithful and committed and we can ask him and he'll help us. When I can't lift something and I have to ask Danny to come and do it, in that moment, his strength becomes mine to do what I couldn't do before because the two become one. It's a marriage covenant. But, He won't help me to serve another or to be an adulterer. I guarantee you that if I ask Danny to lend me his strength to do something against our marriage, he's not going to help with that. Neither will Jesus. God will not help you to serve your flesh or your sinfulness, which is submitting to the influence of demon spirits. In fact, he will fight against it because he is jealous for his bride. So... Will the church who now by and large is full of spots, sin, idolatry, adultery, and pride have to be purified? Because God loves us too much to leave it spotted so that it is unprepared for his returning. He is going to purge it. He will be Jehovah Makadesh to it. He will sanctify it. So here's a word from the Lord to the church. Take the way of escape. You don't want to do this the hard way. A humbling is coming. A purifying. Because He loves you. So Lord, we come to you tonight and we thank you for who you are, Lord, that as we go deeper into your attributes, your characteristic, Lord, these things that cannot be changed, they are part of you. They are who you are. You are the God that sanctifies, that makes holy. Father, you made a way where there was no way. You did it through Jesus. You made a way for us to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to receive your spirit, to be empowered, to be married to Jesus who lends us his strength and ability to walk through these things, Lord, to follow the leading of your spirit and to trust it. Lord, we thank you that you did all of these things for us in order to equip us. Father, we thank You that You are so merciful that You gave us Your Word to teach us. There are scriptures that say that we are sanctified by the washing of the water of the Word. Lord, that is the easy way, Lord. Let us read it and believe it and agree with it and walk in it daily, Lord. We pray for the church of Jesus Christ, Lord, because it is spotted, Lord. But we thank You also... That just like in the book of Leviticus when you gave those words and commandments and you said sanctify yourself, but then after that you said that you were the God who sanctifies and makes holy. So Lord, in those times and places where the church has refused to obey, to trust, to listen, to honor their spiritual husband and to sanctify and separate themselves apart from these other lovers, spiritually speaking, Lord, that you are going to come. And you are going to cleanse it. And even if it comes in a furnace of affliction. Lord, I thank you that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into that fiery trial. That it was only the things that bound them that were burned up, Lord. So we thank you that even when things get difficult for the church. That it's really those things that hinder them that are consumed. Because those are the things that are wood stubble and hay. But that the things that are from you, they will withstand the fiery trials. They will withstand the fires that are coming. You will purify, you will unify, you will have your bride. You will remove the spots. Lord, those that are in it for attention will be removed by persecution. Those that are in it for greed and for money will be removed by destroyed economies. Those that are in it for selfish ambitions will be removed by the hardships, Lord. But nevertheless, you will have your bride. And in the end, we will thank you for the process because... It made us ready for your returning. When we stand before you on that day, it says that the saints of God who trusted him and endured through it, they will be singing, but the sinners will be weeping. Or let us be found on the right side of the divide on that day. And let not one of us be found in the valley of decision. So I thank you, Father, that these hardships come to force people to choose a side. So that those who are hypocrites and playing games will remove themselves from polluting the body so that you can use it, Lord. And those that are undecided will be fully committed to do what you call them to do, Lord, that they will trust you. They will let you be the husband to them. And when that day comes, Father, that they have to follow you out into the wilderness like a bride does to a husband, that you will be a good husband to them. You will lead, guide, protect. You will provide for just like you did for the Israelites in the wilderness, Father. You aren't any different. You are still who you are. So when things get hard, Lord, let us not be angry or lack understanding or be confounded or confused or shaken by it, but let us know that in your love, you purify, you correct, you sanctify because you're preparing us for something more serious that's coming. It's time for the church to grow up. So we thank you for this word, for this lesson, for this message, for this reminder of who you are, that you are a God of holiness and that you require your people to be as such also. Protect us that we not get entangled in anything that is of the flesh or of the leading of these other spirits. We desire to be faithful to you, Lord. Stand in defense of your bride. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.